and it's there. Oh. Here we go. All right. Hey, Gundamaniacs. Welcome to the Gundam Explained show. I'm your host, Adam Blue, and joining me, as always, is Stephen from Midnight Hatter. Stephen, how's it going? Um, I'm doing good, but you know what? I think I realized I didn't add your audio. So, hold so guys, crazy, crazy thing um, that happened. Actually, I could do um, the program I use, and we've had this issue before, to um, uh, it's hard to think and talk at the same time. So, part, pardon me. <laughs> well, there we go. Thankfully, um, you know, they're so the customer service department at Wirecast is so responsive to everything that you send them. So I'm sure that immediately after the stream there, you're, you're going to get an email from them that says, Hey, Adam, I'm sorry that we ruined the Gundam yes. Explained show, but no, you're right. We'll fix oh, that in the next patch. And, and it even looks like the audio is coming in good. So guys, this is what happened. As soon as this show, as soon as I was about to start the show, I noticed no audio I couldn't preview the audio, and I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then Steven joined, and I couldn't hear him either. And I'm like, oh, no, don't tell me. So I loaded up OBS, quickly rebuilt all the scenes, and I guess now it's working. So we can just get on with the show. I'm, I'm happy. And then, yeah, like you said, Wirecast is pretty cool. I can get with him and be like, what did I do this time? <laughs> um, but no, really, we have a good show today. Uh, and it's funny because if you watched uh, Hatter's show from yesterday, and if you haven't, go check it out after this. Um, awesome show yesterday, by the way. That's got to be in my top two awesome, coolest live streams I've ever done. I don't, I don't even know what the yeah. other one would be. I'm just saying that. But it, <laughs> right, you got to pick like an arbitrary number between one and five. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's in my top. <laughs> no, it it was it was awesome because like I felt like it, you know it's therapeutic in a way. You got to talk about deep things you don't normally talk to people about and kind of getting it out there for yeah. other people. Um, was pretty cool, but. Well, and I'm embarrassed because I should have worn this shirt yesterday because you were you were rocking the dad shirt. You had Dude. the world's greatest dad mug. I'm like, oh, man, I did totally not even realize that <laughs> I uh, that that's so funny. You brought that up because I, I love that shirt. It's cool that it says dad. My youngest bought it for me, but it's just like it's super comfortable. He got it, I think, at Gap. And it's I don't know what it is about the cloth, how it feels. It's just comfortable. But yeah. um. That's what brought it up. But anyway, are, you know, it's yeah, like, no, like this one my wife got me for Father's Day. So Bluey, yeah, Bluey's a big deal. No, but um, no. At the end of the show, I remember you asked yesterday. You were like, "So, any preview of what we're going to be talking about?" And I was like, "You know what? Game preservation is a a big topic that's been coming up lately. So I think we can talk about that." And then just yeah. this morning, we hear Gundam Evolution is getting shut down, and I think that right. is timely. Um. Let's see. Um, sorry, I was looking. Something that says video resolution is not supported, but no one's complaining. So anyway. Um, <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, I want to see what happens. No, but uh, anyway, so yeah, Gundam Evolution. We'll, we'll get into that as well um, because that got shut down. I'm, we're getting shut down. I got to say, yeah. personally, I'm not surprised, but, you know. Um, you know, I, I to me, esports like as a whole genre kind of feels like a big Ponzi scheme. Like it's, yeah. you know, is anyone actually making money in esports? It's like because NFTs. It just, <laughs> it's it's exactly. these buzzwords that everyone's like, oh, 
Um, but real quick, um, good to see Return to Nerd in the chat. Goose, Sway, Travis Wadlow, uh, Nike. It's Brian Zanicelli. Good to see you. Matt Mad Dog Wheaton, Rogue New Type, Shy Guy. Uh, let's see. I don't want to miss anyone else. Dan Vince, Quarter Game Plays, Ian Armad, Talos. Awesome. We got a yeah. We got the full mod squad in the house. That's awesome. Um, no. Uh, so real quick, what I like to start with is like any Gundam related stuff that we happen to have gotten into this week. Hatter, I don't know if there's anything, um, you can bring up other than you know, your I mean, your I gummies. Like those little. What I like to call yeah. it, little gummy. Yeah, I mean, I, I share almost all the Gundam stuff I do on Wednesdays. So if you guys uh, didn't catch yesterday's show, we've got some some chunky Gundam minis that uh, that I 3D printed that I'm very excited about. So chunked them, right? Isn't that what you? Yeah. Exactly, chunked them. Chunked them. Yeah. <laughs> no, that those, that's awesome. I, I love those, and that's really just seeing that is is what's getting me to want to get a resin printer because I I was holding okay. off that for a while but i think that kind of sealed the deal um yeah so I think check that out is ideal for like minis and then like you know the the filament printers are great for like cosplay applications yeah no exactly um but no i, I so like if anyone's interested in any of that stuff uh join steven's channel or patreon the links below because that's how you can actually get access to this stuff um which it's awesome. Um, yeah, I try to make as much of it available as I, as I can. So no, yeah, that is really cool. No, but um, no. Another thing is, oh, shirt lad, good to see you. Um, no, another thing that um, some Gundam stuff I got into this week. It was a heavier week than before. One is I finished building. Not only did it come in the mail, but I finished building the GM Spartan. And um, very nice. Yeah. Love it. I, I can't wait to top coat it as soon as it's not 100 degrees and 90% uh, humidity. I'll uh, get to that. Um, because it's just, it's like everything I like about a mobile suit. You know, as much as I like the Gundam with the V-Fin, when it doesn't have a V-Fin, it's a little more realistic, I guess, when it comes to a mobile suit. And uh, yeah, that sure. James Spartan just hits all the marks. Um, another thing was the, um, where it's, this white dingo, Robot Spirits White Dingo, uh, GM Sniper Two. Um, you know, I did that recent review on Rise from the Ashes. It was like my first Gundam game, one of my favorite Dreamcast games. Um, and so then that got me to want to. You know, it, it's cool when I'm, I've decided to scale back on what I'm buying to then find the specific thing that I guess speaks more to me. So it's like getting these white dingo Gundams, but. What's interesting about this is there was a, a error they made on the original Robot Spirits. It was a P Bandai, and it was the torso. Uh, the part underneath was actually supposed to be blue instead of white. Um, so then um, what they did was for anyone that bought it, they just sent them another one. So when I went to go buy the used one online from Japan, it just comes with the other body, so you technically get two. And... Very what's, nice. What's really cool is I have a uh, Robot Spirits ground Gundam that has the rocket that is canon with what this uses uh, in UC. So, um, and actually, this is how I use this mobile suit in GBO2 because um, it, it's a sniper, and I'm I'm not big on sniping. Uh, it's fun, yeah, but I it's, think even. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's one of those things where it's like. It's slower paced combat, you know, and 
and the game's already slow to begin with, so sniping is slow. So I just throw on the rocket or the plasma. So I kind of made, yeah, my little GBO2 representation uh, of it. So what were you yeah. going to say? Sure. No, I, I would say even in the game Rise from the Ashes, uh, the sniper rifle is not the optimal loadout. Yeah. You no, know, you almost prefer to use like the, the beam rifle or the machine gun. I think I went with the machine gun. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, the beam rifle, the machine gun. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. And then when you beat the game, I like that it then allows you to use other weapons. So um, what it ha I learned from GBO2 is this early, like, prototype beam rifle that has a shot that takes off, like, 75% health. And it's actually from Rise from the Ashes. When you beat the game, you can use it. And it it's it's interesting because I, I was so I did my review on Rise of the Ashes and something I didn't mention because I didn't really get to it until later was when you play through it again with the weapons unlocked. It's actually a lot of fun to be that powerful because then you can kind of yeah. skate around and like take out Zaku a little easier. Um, so, yeah, yeah, really cool. Um, another thing that I got. Was this. Uh, vinyl of uh zeta gundam it's the uh collection volume two so it has more of that like the titans theme it has that like more disco-y song that i really like but i nice. do want to get them all um so i i i found a, an awesome ebay listing they had like three gundam vinyls for like 50 bucks so and one of them was volume one so you know that's an interesting thing when it comes to vinyls because Growing up, my parents did have vinyl and a record player, but as soon as like cassettes were a thing, as soon as CDs were a thing, I mean, that's mainly what we had. But, you know, there's something to, I've spent most of my adult life streaming music. So that like, to take some music you really like and then take your time to put it on a player you know, and then have that fill the room. There's something more to the music, like a more of an appreciative thing. Um, but do you have any experience with vinyl? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, when I was in college, a couple of my roommates were very big into DJing and, you know, oh. they had like their plastic milk crates full of vinyls that, you know, obviously it's not the same as, you know, putting on like an old record that, that you have some kind of um, you know, appreciation for. Right. But, you know, they were they were scratching and all that good stuff. And so that was cool. And, it you know, you kind of mentioned that when cassettes and CDs became the sort of status quo, it's like, um, you, you know, you, you had people fall into one of two camps. You either had like the Luddites that kind of said, no, no, never, nothing's ever going to change the sound quality and you know, everything that you get from vinyl, the tactile um, sensation that you have, you know, just laying the laying the record on the turntable and, and setting everything up. And then you had people that are like, no, nope, get rid of it. You know, G give me my eight track. Give me my <laughs> my oh, cassette yeah. tapes. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting, the different perspectives. But I think that, you know, there there's a younger generation that's growing an appreciation for vinyl now. Yeah, it's something I don't I don't know. I I almost can relate it to like if there's a certain meal you like and you're preparing it yourself rather than getting it from fast food. It's I feel like there's a similar feeling I have when it comes to if it's music I really I really want to jam with in the moment putting it on the record player feels different than me going to Spotify and hitting play and 
I don't know. I, and I don't know if it's possible that could someone ruin music for themselves because of streaming? I feel like I will listen to the first five seconds of a song and be like, nope, next. Nope, next. Like, so on that's the, a very good point. Yeah, this I mean. No, go ahead. Uh, well, you know, it's like when you when you lay a record down, there's a there's a committed action there. Yeah. You know, there's something you have to do in order to engage in that activity. Most people don't put on a record and then like hop on their computer and start working. They'll sit down and kind of just enjoy the sound and and truly listen to the music as opposed to, you know, like you said, with all of the music streaming software out there, you could just hit play and then go to work or go play a video game. It's kind of like the same thing that you and I talk about when it comes to watching anime, where, you know, oh, a lot yeah. of the modern generation, when it comes to watching old anime, they just throw it on in the background and, you know, they're on their phone or messing around with stuff. They're not really committed to watching the program that. Yeah, especially put on. when then they can just binge the next episode, next episode, and it goes by in such a flash. Like, I don't think that you can really take in all the nuance or think about it. So I think there's some relation to that when it comes to how we consume food, music, even games. I know with Game Pass, I'll scroll through, okay, what's even my Steam library? I'll scroll through the 400 plus games I have on Steam and be like, uh, what am I going to play? Nah, nah, nah. And I'll install something, play it for a second and be like, nah. Like, ah, oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's, that's something that, um, you know, when you're when you actually have the action of taking a disc or a cartridge and putting it in a console, there's something that's more engaging about that than just going through your digital library. And yeah, you know, I, I can't describe how many times I've been just kind of cruising the PlayStation store looking for some free game to throw on because I'm just bored with everything that's already in the library. Um, yeah, that's a, actually a good point because you know, there's something I think is different with, like, music and games is I feel like music doesn't necessarily age bad like games do. Because sometimes I feel like games are only as good as the time they're in. Not all the time. But in terms of, like, any game, it's because, like, these are... This is what we've achieved as in game mechanics. But then, like, five years later... It could be that there's a completely different game mechanic that then really dates the older ones. And then it's like, oh, I wouldn't play a game because of this. Now there's these quality of life improvements. Whereas music, it's more of the sound of the engineering that has. And a lot of times that's part of the uniqueness. And yeah. because I think back to like uh, when I sold my entire physical video game collection, I was like, that's a lot to have. I had from ColecoVision into modern stuff and I but I see what you mean like I love the feeling of plugging in a cartridge into the Sega Genesis but also with emulators and we're going to get into a bunch of this here soon so this is a great segue by the way good job um <laughs> the, the, there is some setup to that too there is time it takes sometimes to get your emulator set up so you can play it's really not as easy as you search for the game you want to play and then you start playing it um yeah so Maybe it should be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this this is going to be a good conversation. Um, and I wonder if we should actually get into it because I think, I think that's all. Um, when it comes to yeah, what I got into Gundam wise this week, I was actually building the Toad's Ritter 
when the Spartan came in, and then I just like put the Tojo to her side and just <laughs> built. See what you should have done is post the meme of like uh, Andy dropping Woody and you know doing the oh, whole like yeah. I don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> you know, and it's it's funny because I was reflecting on that moment, thinking how um like. Uh, the Toad's Ritter to me is a different type of what I love about a mobile suit than the GM Spartan. The GM Spartan embodies what I like about sci-fi and like fictional military operations. The Toad's Ritter to me is represent representative of like how badass mobile suits get in the Gundam universe without what, what like having that cooler, edgier design, but without being too far out there for the sake of it. Like, I think we see yeah. sometimes. I mean, it's not a super robot. It doesn't have, like, glowing bits or, like, beam shields or things like that. It's it's still it uses grounded incoms to too. a degree, but... Yeah, it, uses, it still uses the incom, so it's not a Saikamu necessarily. It's more of the, the wire-guided um, system, which I like that because... You know, I'll, I remember seeing that in Gundam being like, why are things on wires in space? But it's like, that is kind of a neat idea of showing limitations that still exist in technology. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, but yeah, let's jump into this next topic. So, I think I'll start with Gundam Evolution because this could lead into the preservation aspect. So, if you haven't heard... Yesterday, Bandai announced Gundam Evolution is going to be end of life at the end of the year. There's still a couple like season updates coming out with mobile suits and maps. There was a screenshot that was posted somewhere with a with like this Gundam Evolution banner, and it showed a camp for Zeta. So I don't know if that means those are what the next suits are going to be. I don't know if anyone's heard that or I'm saying too much. I don't know, but um, that's a shame if they're if they're mobile suit right as they're about to yeah. <laughs> mix the whole thing. <laughs> and so and so just. You know, the thing was, Gundam Evolution was just not that popular, but they were also trying to make the esports happen. So I will actually give it to Bandai for. Oh yeah, someone's saying something about the stream buffering. Hold on one second. Let me see if I could. I wonder if I can change something here real okay. quick without. Uh. Killing everything. Okay. Well, I guess it, I'm sorry, guys, if that happens. Luckily, that was just that one time. I, I see what it is now. I have the stream out putting at 4K. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's going to display at 4K. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, no, with Gundam Evolution, like, it's it's cool that Bandai tried this, you know, in the first yeah. place. A hero shooter and esports that's what they were doing they're like they have all these different gundam games but they're like hey let's try to inject gundam into what the most popular mainstream aspect of gaming is right now mm -hmm. although is that something? is not necessarily the case i think it's just the loudest because it's mainly teenagers when it comes to the competitive esport nature right it's, that's yeah. what you hear online a lot but it's just because they are the loudest um, so, um, but to me personally, the game is fun and I, it's tight. It's like, it's good gameplay, but it's not what I want out of a video game at all. Really? It's, it's yeah. purely, well, and you and I talked about this when, when Gundam evolution and, um, Gundam battle Alliance were announced is, you know, it's, 
there's something out there for everybody. Yeah, that's and that's I guess the bottom line, which is awesome, is at least Bandai is is trying these things out, and 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 then what's also interesting is with something like GBO two, and someone brought this up in my Discord, and I kind of felt for them for a second there because they were like, you know, GBO two is just a little too hard for me. Not and not I don't think. They were saying hard for me. It's more of there's so many systems that the game doesn't necessarily explain them that well. And so sometimes it is hard to understand what you're doing. And and that's the thing. I think that is what what makes everyone different. Because for me, as a, ga- a gamer that's been gaming forever and I love gaming, that's what I like out of games. When they're very intricate and there's a lot you have to spend your time with where some people don't have time for that. Sometimes people only have time to jump into a quick first-person shooter. Um, yeah, and that's and, where those types of quality of life improvements that you mentioned kind of come into play, where it's like, you know, we we have these understandings about first-person shooters, you know, even going back as far as GoldenEye days, you know, where you now we, we know that left stick is always move and right oh. stick is always look, and you have the left trigger to do your focused aim and all of that stuff. So it's like we have these kind of, um, what would like you call them? Built-in... Uh, but pre uh, preconceived. Um, I don't know. There's a word yeah. for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Conventions. I think would yeah. be the would be the way to describe okay. them. It's like we have yeah. these conventional control schemes that make it easy to hop into these games and engage with them. You know, maybe not necessarily at a pro level, but at least competently. So, like, yeah, I agree, and I do think though. Then, alongside GBO two, there always should be another shooty action Gundam game that's just more general mainstream and you know but i think there's and we've talked about this i think even on the marketing episode or a few episodes ago there's a lot about gundam evolution i think is very odd about it and one is gundam is known for its story gundam evolution wasn't a story-based game yes it was supposed to be mainly competitive but a lot of times these competitive games come from a place where since it's not based on story it's here's just you know, how the game works. Whereas Gundam has this rich history of story by injecting that into a game, you're going to have kind of this wider interest uh, from all different sides, from people that are into the story of Gundam or people that want to learn about the story of Gundam. Gundam Evolution didn't do any of that. Let's say it had animation right. cutscenes that it unlocked every few seasons that were based on here's what happens when these mobile suits collide from different universes almost like sd gundam battle alliance did it had a story of why these different mobile suits were actually interacting with each other um, or or the dynasty warriors gundam series oh yeah. did the same thing That's right. you know they they created this narrative that allowed the different interactions between these characters from various universes so it's it's interesting yeah. that i mean even even overwatch the the game that Gundam yeah. Evolution is loosely based on has a rich lore and history around it. That's right. Yeah, that's you know what, and that's a good point because yeah, even though Overwatch was made as a game first, they still had a rich story to it to attach you to the characters. Gundam Evolution didn't have that. It would be based on the shows they had, but that wasn't part of the game. Um, yeah, it's very it's very interesting. I, you know, it's it's sad to see the game go. I. I even though even for, it's not for me, but like I hope then they do come out with another sort of um, you know actiony generic actiony game for everyone to play. Um, 
you know, just make it like, uh, I hate to say Call of Duty, more like Battlefield, really. Just make a game like Battlefield, where it's just all these different GM loadouts you have, and then there could be the hero units, you know, um, where it could be, you know, 16 on 16 point capping. You know, it reminds me of, did you see that Battle Bit game on Steam? So No, I haven't. I, I want to say it's a 128-player game. It's it's literally Battlefield, but with Roblox graphics, and it's been taken off. It's it's no, no season pass, no microtransactions. It's strictly a Battlefield clone, but with, um, yeah, Roblox graphics so that they can make tight gunplay controls. And See, um, and and think, you you brought up the the real point about about Gundam Evolution going away is that now no one is going to be able to play it. Yeah, it is. You know, because it is a server-based multiplayer game, there's no campaign mode associated with it. You know, you can have it installed on your console or on your PC, but yeah. you're never going to be able to play it again. So this will get into the game preservation. And so to to start with that, I'm glad you you, you were starting with this because there there is precedence for dead multiplayer games to be revived by a community. And I was trying to do, it, you know, this, I wasn't intending to t talk about this today, but since it came up, I figured, you know what, that's part of preservation in a way. And so I was just looking up a couple uh, multiplayer games that because of the strong fan base that already existed, there was enough people to actually uh, bring them back from the dead on their own. Um, one is a Disney game called Toontown that started in 2003. I never played this. Have you heard of it? I remember the ads for Toontown. Okay. It, and it got shut down in 2013, but there were so many people that liked it that they were able, someone was able to create their own servers. I guess, I guess with a game, any game on PC, you can eventually unpack the data and then manipulate it for your own use. Right. Is that inevitable from your understanding? I, I feel like it. I mean, okay. you know, but you know that that kind of begs the question if there's so much fan support around these older multiplayer games that they're willing to create these you know self-hosted servers to preserve these games where was that support when the game was live well what is interesting about this though is this was done by fans and not the developers not the publisher yeah and so what i think is is happening here is that's how the game is popular enough where there are smart enough people out there to do that. And I think that's telling. Like, Gundam Evolution, is it going to be missed and popular enough by some pretty ingenious coders or programmers that they're going to create their own servers, unpack the game, be able to host it themselves? Right. I think it largely depends on the talent of the fan base um, more than the than the popularity of the game yeah. because obviously you know you might have a, a you might have a game that has one million players but nobody knows how to rip the game and host their own server or you might have a game with 10,000 players where there's just one guy that happens to be a developer in his free time that is going to do that and because like i said you know if if Gundam Evolution, for instance, is going to be such a popular game that people are going to want to create their own fan servers, it makes you wonder why the game went away in the first place. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. 
and I and I think um and that goes into emulation. I'm going to get to that in a second. There were some other games yeah. that I looked up that are the case. There's a Warhammer game called Age of Reckoning. I never played it, but apparently that got shut down. But um, I, I guess people were able to open up servers to get keep that going. And I don't know if this is accurate, but it sounds like even World of Warcraft, don't they have it where there's previous versions that people host or have put servers together? Does that sound? I honestly don't know enough about okay. World of Warcraft to, to answer that competently. Okay. Yeah, that's something I think I've heard. Uh, there's another game I've never I heard of called it. Fusion Fall, where that was a game that got shut down, but then there were multiple versions that people actually um, created on their own and then hosted. So I, I feel like, and this is going to get into the emulation thing, I feel like if there's enough people interested in something... They will do it themselves, and you almost would rather want that than the corporation. And this actually gets into the next topic, and it is game pre preservation in general when it comes to um, old games coming back out. So, like, yeah, what's funny with Nintendo is, like, the next, and I think they even started this with Super Nintendo. They would re-release re the game sometimes with updated graphics. And then as they went, they would just, like, with the Wii, the Wii U, and the uh, Switch, they would, on their eShops, have the games available again. Now, that just means you're rebuying it, even if you already owed it, owned it. And I guess you're just paying for the license to continue to play it on modern hardware, which is one way to go about it. You would think, though, if this was yeah. released on PC, a Mar like, if the original Mario was released on PC, you'd still be able to play it until today. Um, you know, and that's but true. that's where... Nintendo kind of then can take advantage, and I, I guess take advantage is a strong word, but of a market and continue to get money by having a closed platform that, you know, the modern games can only be there. So what will happen then is if someone wants to play an old game that is no longer in print, you would have to buy it used, which means the original publisher is not going to make any money off that. They're not going to see a dime. Right. It's not going to matter. Um, or, and, and if it's a rare game, it might be too expensive for someone to buy or just not available to buy. So the other option yeah. would be to emulate. So technically, technically, and I, I don't know if illegal is the word to use, but it's technically against, yeah, TOS to play emulated games. But in, as far as I know, and I did a little bit of research, I could be wrong. There's never been a history of a video game publisher taking a gamer to court because they were playing an emulated game. And if that were yeah. to happen, I believe that would then put laws in place that would probably protect any out-of-print game that doesn't have a modern version available to be able to be played, as long as it's not being distributed you know that i think that's the other aspect uh depending on how it's being distributed well and that's the that's the tough thing about a legal battle is and, and you get into this whenever you have lawsuits about um tortious interference with contracts and things like that um you know damages for you know maybe missed opportunities due to you know defamation or something like that you have to prove the monetary the, the, the monetary loss from the action of the opposing yeah. party. So in this case, Nintendo would have to prove that there was money on the table that this emulator took took out of their pockets. 
So if there was an emulator for Tears of the Kingdom, that is a very obvious, you know, yes, you are you're absolutely stealing money from us. But an emulator for, you know, one of these retro games that you're talking about that's been out of print for so long, you know, I don't think that they're going to be able to prove that somebody is losing money because of emulating Super Dodgeball. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and then I wonder too, let's say someone is emulating Super Mario RPG. Nintendo has announced a new version coming out, but it's redone. Different graphics. Right. So then I wonder if there was... And this is why I don't think people are being left and right sued for playing emulators. Because exactly, if they were to be tried for that, there would be a very strong defense against that. And this is almost, and I don't want to dive too much into this, but this is almost related to that that FTC, Xbox, Activision thing, because people are, you know, the FTC and the CMA or whatever keep fighting back on Microsoft, but it's not because they don't want it to happen. It's because they have to defend the consumer by continuing to poke and prod wherever they can until they're like, okay, this is really airtight and there's nothing wrong with what's going on. And I think that is what would happen in the case of game emulation, if there was a point where someone got in trouble for playing, distributing, et cetera, an old game, a game that always comes to mind is like Quackshot on the Sega Genesis. Amazing game. Love that game. There's no way you can play it modern unless you um, uh, buy an old copy or emulate it. If someone was to get sued for that, they're taken to court, you know, Sega or whoever would own that anymore, um, which, yeah, that brings up another thing, because some things sometimes no one owns anymore because they're, like, licensed properties. Like, you know, what precedent is there? And there's, like, none. And I think that's why nothing has really happened, because at the end of the day, it's not hurting the company enough for them to spend the money to go to court and have that out there in the open uh, for everyone. Now, here, here's the ultimate money-making strategy, if you're a savvy audience member, is... um what you should do is go out into the middle of that landfill where they buried all of the copies of E.T. for Atari, (laughs) dig all of those up, and list them on eBay so that you can then sue anybody who's emulating that game because then you'll be able to say, look, I'm I'm selling copies of this game. Therefore, they are taking money out of my pocket. It is hurting my bottom line. (laughs) And then they would say, well, who are you to actually own that original game? Uh, You know what I mean? Because then that's... That's what's so great about this is because the logic at the end of the day, th- these are these are safeguards. I think those terms of service are safeguards for right. and, and it's very interesting because you brought up Tears of the Kingdom and right now you can play that on a PC in 4K 60 FPS, which the Switch doesn't even allow. And that's funny right. because I wonder if, you know, I wonder if someone was that. Let, and, and that's the thing. Like right now, you can play pretty much any Switch game that comes out on an emulator. And yeah, Nintendo, I think Nintendo tries to fight it, but there must be something where maybe the loss is 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 not hard to document or, you know, because they make so much money anyway. Like isn't Zelda the, yeah. the top-selling physical game of this year? 
Um, I think so. And I mean, it's it's kind of ironic that there are so many like Ocarina of Time emulators that are better than the Ocarina of Time emulator that's available on the Switch. That's right. As part of the yeah. Nintendo 64 expansion. So that is a great point, because I wonder if it ever got into the nitty gritty where someone's emulating the N64 version to be as accurate as possible. Uh, even though there's a, a one available right now, but the one that's available is not accurate. There's some missing textures, or I think the textures are incorrect or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then I wonder if someone's like, well, this is taking place. But I wonder if then they would have to come to an agreement where it's like, okay, you can emulate as long as you can prove you own the the modern version that is available. Like, right. I, I've I've been doing that with Switch games. I'll buy them, but then emulate them and because i like that bowser's fury even though that looks good on switch actually nintendo does a good job with those types of games um yeah oh yeah the uh you know the um dungeon uh dynasty warriors like zelda games what the the, oh yeah the uh calamity calamity war i think was the most recent one or something like that yeah it runs Um, warriors it runs horrible on a switch it's it's a nightmare. Like I can't play that, but it. Yeah, I mean the hardware isn't designed to have that many characters rendered on screen at at a single yep. time. I mean you you even notice that when playing Tears of the Kingdom, yeah. the one of the glitches that's very popular for speedrunners is by overloading the the game with oh. by generating too much water on screen. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and so that's where I think if there was a case, the 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 right thing to do would be as long as you own Nintendo's official copy that you can get, it's fine to then emulate. Like it's almost like things should be about the license to have it, you know, and maybe have it where Sega has a back catalog of their Genesis games. The licenses are $5 each. You just have a, now this again, this actually gets into another point. I was about to say Sega could have this online database where you have a username it could show every game you own so you can play them. But do we want corporations to be in charge of the preservation of games? And I'd say no. Yeah. No, I would uh, I would be opposed to that as well, especially when you're talking about like a registration database and yeah. you know people knowing what you own and what you don't own. I think that there's um that's a that's very risky territory. Yeah, and the other thing that goes about it, too, is at the end of the day, the bottom line of any corporation is going to be what makes them money, and it's not going to be in their best interest to support playing these old games. Like, there's companies that do a good job. Like, Sega, I remember during the Xbox and 360 era, would release, like, a Genesis collection. The um, Sonic Origins game that came out uh last year this year they had the dlc that i bought right away and it's all the game gear games to me i'm i'm willing to pay for that instead of setting up an emulator because what we were talking about earlier you know when you set up an emulator sometimes there's some hoops you have to jump through the average person might not necessarily understand how to do all that it does take some research um and Which makes it, it even more disappointing that a company like Nintendo, with all of the resources that they have, didn't have all of the emulated copies of these N64 games like ready to go, like turnkey. You know what I mean? You have to be... If you're willing to pay for an emulated service, then I feel like 
you should be entitled to probably the most user-friendly optimized version of that. You know, if you're willing to go out of your way and and tweak all of the bugs and fix all of the textures and things, then by all means, you know, yeah. like it, it's it's your time. What what how much money is your time worth? Yeah. You, that's right. And I think then I will, you know, conversely give Microsoft the thumbs up because even though they've even proved with the data that they don't make money off of backwards compatible games that no one plays them, and that's not true that no one does, but they're just there's not a market for it. They still tried their hardest to get as many as they can to work. Um, and yeah. some of them they were able to have on their digital store. Some of them it's like, well, we can only get the disc version to work, but it will work. And that's awesome because I kept my Xbox to be able to play some games. One was the Revenge of the Sith game on Xbox. It was really good. And Yeah, that game is awesome. Yeah, and they recently, and I, it might have been a year ago, it was one of the most recent updates where the disc version works on um, an Xbox One. And I think that is awesome that they did that because, again, this is Microsoft showing. And, and so that's where then it almost this Activision thing is good because Microsoft is good at preservation on a level where... Right now, you don't have to worry about anything. Like, just recently, they turned on the servers for all the old COD games and even updated where there were uh, cheap hackers in some of the servers and they were able to fix that. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, and they're going to release all the Activision games on Steam, like uh, Diablo 4. Uh, if it's not already on Steam, it's going to be on Steam. Uh, World of Warcraft is going to be on Steam. Um, so it's interesting that Microsoft, and it reminds me of when. The, the original DOS came out, Microsoft made it to where it would run on any computer instead of specific computers. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, to, to them, it's probably like a loss leader. You know, they they treat it as it's a small investment and they're not going to make any money off of it. But hopefully they kind of coax that customer loyalty and will get them to buy newer titles and or maybe just lock them into you know, a software model that, you know, you're not even going to be able to go and get Sony products or, you know. <laughs> no, that's actually a good point. It almost goes into our marketing uh, show from last week because you almost want to invest into the goodwill of the organization to get people to want to be part of your software programs or whatever. Um, and I think doing stuff like making old titles available is one way to go about it. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's very interesting and just, you know, when it comes to Gundam games specifically, um, I know I, I, um, got Operation Troy, which was an Xbox 360 game only released in Japan. That was during, I believe the one year war again, you're, uh, where you're on the ground, it's like you're a soldier, but you get fighting first person, mobile suits drop down. The emulation isn't fully there because sometimes, depending on where you look, the screen will turn black for a second. And it, it didn't age too well. But it's neat that I can go and try that out just for my curiosity. Um, I would love to beat it someday, and maybe someday they can tweak and figure out the uh, emulation I know. So PS3 is another example because... Um, PS3 had a lot of Gundam games that were only released in Japan, although there's a history of that. Um, and right. I would buy them and then emulate them. So I bought Unicorn. And I guess technically since it's out of print, I 
don't have to buy it, but part of my enjoyment of Gundam is like collecting stuff. So I was I bought the Unicorn game on PS3, and I was playing it on the PS3 a little bit, but emulating it, I can up-res the graphics and everything. And um and you know, that's really great to do. I can, you know, modify certain components of it. Um and, and that's another thing. I went back like G Savior. I would have never played that game if it wasn't for the emulator so I could try it out. And then I loved it. I went through it. Right. Not that I, that's going to make them money if I was like, okay, I'm going to buy it now, but it's it's it keeps me engaged with the Gundam IP, so I am buying modern Gundam stuff that's coming out. You know, so that's it kind of goes back to that marketing. Um, are there any games yeah, you can I mean, think would of? you would you necessarily have gotten, you know, the White Dingo GM Sniper if you hadn't re-engaged with the Rise from the Ashes game, Dude. either directly on Dreamcast or via emulator? It's like... Dude, good call. Even in GBO2, I'm making sure I have the uh, the gear, that the uh, the loadout that matches. Yeah, you, you have a perfect example right there because that's the same thing with the Toad's Ritter and the Pale Riders. Like, I was using them in GBO2. It made me emulate Missing Link to see the story, and then I went and bought the model kits. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I would have bought the the high-grade Gaplant if I hadn't enjoyed playing as the Gaplant in Gundam versus Zeta Gundam so much. Ah, yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I, I think that's why we don't see even Bandai really go after people that are emulating these games. Um, I, I think there's something about that just keeps Gundam top of mind for whoever it is. And, um, but at the same time, I wonder if it's worth Bandai, worth it for Bandai to maybe, you know, what if they were to create a, a, a service, a gaming service on PC where you can play the whole back catalog of Gundam games? Uh, you know? Something like that. Or at the very least, you know, I think that it should probably be standard practice for server-based multiplayer games like Gun Evo or GBO2 to open source their server um, code so yeah. that fans can then continue to engage. Because, I mean, one of the great things about PS3 games, PS3 Gundam games in particular, is they, they operate on a P2P, like a peer-to-peer yeah. multiplayer system. So we were able so to we're play... sitting here... Yeah, decades later, playing Dynasty Warriors Reborn, uh, you know, multiplayer, which is yeah, fantastic. Not only um, that, but even that in the GBO. yeah, even in the emulator, um, you can sign in and have a PSN. I, it's not the same thing. It's like a place RCPS three ID, and you can actually connect to people, which it's great. That that's yeah. a good point. So, so with GBO two, that's P two P. Does that mean if they were that means that game would never be shut down, basically. They just might stop updating it. Yeah, and and it's, you know, there's a, there's a whole industry of software as a service, and, you know, now you have games as a service as well. And so oh, yeah. there's, there's this economic model tied into having these server-based multiplayer games. But I think that if, if developers were to get away from that and kind of go back to the older way of, of doing things, you know, not only is it better for the end consumer, because then you'll get people that are going to play games that are older that they never would have maybe otherwise. But like you said, for, for preservation's sake, it's going to make these games last longer in the sort of lexicon of the fan base. Yeah. Now, and, you know, Nike's saying, well, the logic is that Bandai Namco wouldn't make money, so of course they wouldn't support these older games. 
what we can hope is that they re-release these games on newer consoles. But that goes back to what I was just saying about Microsoft, is that they were showing the data that they don't make money off of these backwards compatible games, but it's the goodwill of like having that support there that you know gets people top of mind. And we were just saying, you would then buy a, a, a new game or a model kit because of that. It's almost like marketing. It's it's They might not be making money off of it, but they could look at it as a marketing strategy to keep that top of mind, to keep that words everywhere. You know, you know, another great example of this that isn't in gaming is, um, you know, I, I mentioned that I've been following Robert Talone on YouTube a lot recently because he does sort of silicone and resin molding for you know, miniature figures and statues and what have you. And in one video in particular, he made a cast of a Reaper miniature. I think it was like a Warhammer compatible Reaper miniature. And at the end of the video, he went on this sort of rant talking about, you know, because people were saying like, oh, you know, you're you're ripping off of Reaper, you're stealing their IP, you know, you you can't be making copies of this stuff. And he's like, the miniature costs like $3.29. And the silicone, the resin, everything that I did here, my time, he was like, I've probably put over $100 of work into making this resin cast miniature copy of this. He's like, Reaper doesn't care about fans making copies of their product because there's no economic sense in it. It doesn't. You know, yeah, it, it doesn't that's a good point. do anything for them. What it does do is it creates fan engagement. It's fun. It's yeah. part of the community building. And if you can get people excited about the about the IP, about the franchise, then they're going to go and oh, sorry, they're, they're going to go and buy the official products, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a little bit of, um, you know, there's a little bit of a there's different circumstances obviously in copying miniatures where you have to invest a bunch of physical materials into it but i think that it's the same concept as far as video games go you know it it does take time to set up an emulator and to download a rom and rip the rip the game it's not like you know it's not a a simple process and so the person that's investing the time and the money to do that it's just fan engagement yeah. Un unless they start distributing it like you know yeah mass appeal and i don't see it really hurting the bottom line of these companies no no i and i think that's a good way to to kind of tie a bow on this because i think if if you're really interested in playing these older games and you're you want to emulate because you can't find another way to get them uh, go ahead and do it i i don't think we should rely on the corporations to be the ones to, we shouldn't ask them to do it that was kind of what was going on in gaming news this past week was kind of like talking down to, you know, the, a lot of the the media outlets were kind of like calling out game companies for not having legacy titles available. And it's just right now that's not part of their bottom line. That's not going to do anything for them. Now, marketing goodwill, yeah, maybe that will take time for them to learn. But for now, there is nothing wrong, I think, if you want to emulate and play a game that's not available or emulate and play a game that you might own, but you want to, like with Switch games, be able to output better graphics. I'm telling you, Bowser's Fury at 4K 60 FPS looks amazing. <laughs> uh, Metroid Dread is another one that looks amazing uh, on PC. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, well, let's add, let's end this here. What is maybe a Gundam game you have played or want to play that's not available right now? Well, I mean, I would love to see, you know, either side stories or 0081 get 
at an upscale. Um, obviously, you could do that in an emulator, but you know. I see what you mean because it still you know, it still like stands the test of time. Like it's 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 still a good example of like what a modern Gundam game could be. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, and I know that there are people in the audience that would probably say Gundam Breaker. You know, they want to see Gundam oh, Breaker yeah. come back. Um, but what about you? What what would you say is a game that you either haven't played or something that you want to see restored? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've been playing the Saturn game that's just called Mobile Suit Gundam. And it's the original Gundam made as a side-scroller. It looks like late Genesis, or I would say Sega CD or 32X graphics and all that and the way it looks. And it just reminds me of like, that type, that time in gaming, but then it made me think that might be just a specific generation or audience or niche where other people, younger generations, would be like, "What is this game?" I wouldn't, you know, play. But I feel like making a, a game like that in modern, like just have a game that is you being Amuro in third person, going through all the main scenarios of the original Gundam, just make and where it has animated cutscenes. That's the type yeah. of game that I'd want to see. Or, I mean, the, um, oh, man, when you start talking about, like, the the level of, you know, narrative control that you have in a game like Gundam versus Zeta Gundam or Garen's Greed, where you can change oh, yeah. things, like, you know, you can make it so that Garma doesn't die at the, uh, in, in New York. You can, you know, tweak things and, and have these different timeline splits and stuff. That would be a fun thing to explore as well. Yeah, you know what, that... So then I wonder, with Evolution shutting down, um, the Gundam Breaker Mobile shut down, you know, I, I'm i assuming there's going to be a new, like, builder game coming out because they got the new show. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming a game might be coming out soon that coincides with the movie, if we get any news on that. Um, and I wonder if this writer's strike going on. I know there's an actor strike, too, but with the writer's strike, I wonder if that kind of, even though they said they already got something written. So I wonder if then it's more producers uh, at this end. But, like, there's got to be another Gundam game we're going to hear about. I know G-Gen Eternal comes out this fall or December. Um, and, so and one of the cool things about Bandai going so heavily in the Unreal 5 direction is oh. that you're going to have so many more asset flips, and it's going to be so much easier for them to crank out Gundam games because, right. you know, everything is in-engine already. That Yeah, that's a good point. So, and, you know... I think I've heard it might be a rumor that there were some games that were going to be announced that were delayed. So I wonder if Comic-Con they're going to announce anything or, or later on. Um, I, and I wonder, I, wonder how, I wonder how much they relied on Gundam Evolution to fill a gap or if they already had plans or what happened with Gundam Evolution made them talk more about plans for future Gundam games. Because... I, you know, I do want, uh, and I keep forgetting about Code Fairy because I think, like we talked about last time, they didn't do a good job marketing it. That was a fun game, yeah. but I think at that point, it's like, okay, it's a little aged in terms of the mission structure and all that. They need to really uh, work on a modernization of, of a true, like, look at how epic games like Elden Ring are. I'm not a big fan of the Fallen Order, the Jedi games, but those are pretty epic. There needs to be a Gundam equivalent. Uh, and that's all it takes, really. I think a lot of times, if a game is just, if it's presented in an epic fashion and marketed to death, it's going to do well, even yeah. if it's not that good. 
I think we've seen that a lot recently. <laughs> so um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no. Um, but cool. No, that okay. That's gonna be it for today's show. That was a lot of fun. I like this deep conversation. Gaming is kind of my thing, and I know a lot of times these shows can be, uh, can kind of lean on the gaming side. But you know, Gundam has a lot of gaming presence, and you know, R.I.P. Evolution. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But hey, you know, there's plenty of uh, Gundam games, some abandoned wear that's out yeah. there available for you to play. Exactly. You know, these old PS3 classics. Go, yeah. go get them. Go go emulate them because they're not making them anymore. So and you can play them online with people like Double O Eighty One. Yeah, I mean, isn't it like three or four players too? And you can I believe it's yeah, three players that three you players. can do yeah. three player co op missions. Yeah. So yeah, so that's awesome. Um, and then you know, just to end with this, you know, there's gonna be a bunch of us meeting in Raleigh, North Carolina, at the end of the month. So if anyone wants to meet up, just you know, ping me and I'll kind of let you know where we're at. Um. And I think that's it. Steven, you have anything? No, no. This was a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. Well, um, then everyone, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Check the links in the description for all the other Gundam stuff we have going on. But uh, yeah, have a good day. See you all.